Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter number 8. You may have had the circumstance, the setting, the, I don't know, the story unfolds something like this. You heard someone first bring up a person, although not a name, and they brought them up somewhat in passing. It could have been in in, in high school, could have been on the phone. You might be a college student that's here who, who brought up with your mom one day on the phone while you're talking. Oh, there was this guy in class and, and he shared with me a three by five card for the quiz. And that was the beginning of some reference to the guy. And then there were a few more passing references, although no formal introduction, just some passing references. And and then his name was mentioned. Oh, mom, someday you're going to have to meet Willard. And and, um, oh, yeah, he's, you know, I I mentioned him a while ago. He's the three by five card guy. He has them for me every class. He's so sweet. And mom takes note of Willard, the three-by-five card guy. And, and then more information and more stories. And, and then the words, mom, you have to meet him. I can't wait for you to, when are you and dad coming? Because I want you to meet Willie. <laughs> and... Uh, and it's become more personal and more endearing and, and, and there needs to be some formal introduction. The title of the message today is Allow Me to Introduce You. The person Paul wants to introduce to us is quite unique. He's going to, in some sense, steal our hearts away. He's going to do so with a love that Jesus Christ has told us about. He's demonstrated. He has lived. But now it becomes a reality in the heart and life of every believer. This person that Paul is wanting to introduce to us is alluded to in chapter 7. In fact, he is referenced quite casually albeit not by name. There's no formal introduction in the first seven chapters in the book of Romans. But when we get to Romans chapter eight, it's, it's almost as if Paul says, now you are ready for a formal introduction. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter eight. Let's begin reading where we left off last week. And that is Romans chapter eight, beginning in verse number two. Here the Bible says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after, and here it is, our first formal introduction, after the spirit, 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Today, as we consider this this formal introduction to the person of the Holy Spirit, let's begin where Paul does in this section. After he has told us there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, he starts to unpack that a little more thoroughly so that we can understand what is the life now for a follower of Jesus Christ and what resources are available to the same. You know, the first thing that we're going to see today is what we'll refer to as the principles, the principles. Now, before he gets to just tell us about the person, he's going to help us understand that there are two primary principles under which all of us are functioning, no exceptions. You are functioning with the reality of what we sometimes refer to as laws. Now, Paul's not specifically saying, here's the law of Moses, here's the law of God. He's talking in broad terms regarding these laws of, these principles, this way of living that is under sin, and these principles, these truths, these irrevocable laws that are consistent with the person who is walking in the Spirit of God. So the principles, in Romans chapter 8, again we just read this passage, but he says, verse number 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And again, he's about to contrast these two laws, the law of sin the law of the spirit. He's he's again not speaking about the laws of Moses. He's not speaking about all the ordinances that God had established. He's talking about two major principles under which we're functioning. So let's start with the law of sin. In chapter seven, it was made abundantly clear that the law of sin and the law of the spirit had to be completely different. There's no intermingling of the two. This law or principle was working in our bodies which are unredeemed. Now don't miss that. Don't just glide over it and and don't lull yourself into some uh, mental ease. Your body is unredeemed. We've heard a lot today about the midnight cry about the time when we are going home, when someday we will stand guiltless before the throne of Almighty God. You've sung it today with beauty and with power. We talked about the day when the roll will be called up yonder. You're you're not taking something with you, and that is the body that you brought with you today. It is an unredeemed body. When he's going to one day make all things new, that includes what you brought with you to church today. We remember that we are all born sinners, 
We came with a sinful flesh and that has not changed. If you today are here, if you are watching today and you have passed from death to life, you can never pass back to death again unless there was something about you that is yet unredeemed. And that's your body. You, the person that is taking up residence inside this earthly tabernacle are fully redeemed, but not your body. And so we, we have this, this body that has retained its ability to sin and its inclination to do so. Again, nobody had to teach you how to sin. You came by that naturally and what you were born with. We, we don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. You know, we just don't need help to sin and we don't have to look very far to find those who are willing to encourage us to do the same. Quite naturally, we are lustful, boastful, prideful, disobedient, arrogant, angry, covetous sinners. And while that list could go on, suffice it to say, we have working within us a continual principle or what we might call this pattern of sin. It's why Paul ends right towards the end of Romans chapter seven by saying, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin, this body of death, of separation from God? We might even say, well, why is Paul so distraught? Because of this principle of sin. And we know that just because a law is in place or a principle of sin is in place, we say, okay, there's, there's this other law, the law of Moses, and it told me not to sin. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. How many of you have some naturally strong reaction to a thou shalt not? You don't like being told what not to do. You don't like being told what to do. And sometimes we look with, you know, some raised eyebrow as who do they think they are to tell me what to do? There is something within us that just doesn't like it. For example, if, um, let's see, what color are you wearing today? You're, you have a partially um, red tie on today here at Campus Church. What if at Campus Church we said, hey, we don't wear red. We don't wear red. No red at campus church. It is so funny because so many of you are looking down right now at your clothes. And say, okay, so if we say we don't, what is it that we want to do? So often what we're told to don't. I mean, don't we have, I know we use this as a common example, illustration, but how many of you just touch a wall that says don't touch wet paint? Don't you naturally, if it says keep off, what do you want to keep on? Why is that? Well, it is because we have this law of sin. I remember it stood out to me how powerful that law is and how reactionary we are to it. When I was a teenager, we were in one of our teen meetings at church and someone, one of the volunteer workers was teaching on dating. So he's kind of going on and on about dating and quite frankly, we were a group of of, of teenagers interested in dating, but not necessarily interested in what he had to say. Until he said this. He said, and I remember this so clearly. Now we're all kind of sitting there in, in I don't know, at least for me, what was common teen posture. 
So I'm slouched, I'm probably trying to rest my weary body. When he said something like this, he said, now um, prayer is a powerful thing. And I thought he's gonna tell us we should be praying on our dates. And my immediately thought, my immediate thought was, right, we're going to, let's, would you like to go on a prayer meeting with me, you know? And I just thought that's not going to happen. So he's saying prayer is such a powerful thing. He said, in fact, it is so powerful that I don't recommend that you start praying early in your dating relationship. Well, he just told us not to pray while we're dating. I don't like being told not to do something. In fact, I thought it was really interesting. He said, so it's so powerful Prayer is such a powerful thing that I don't recommend that you pray early in your dating relationships. It was so humorous because nobody had raised a hand for anything, but all of a sudden, all across this teen group, everybody's like, hey, hey. And so then he's like, yes, are you telling us we're not supposed to pray on a date? He says, well, it's just such a powerful thing. And we're like, seriously, you're telling us not to pray on a date? Now, none of us were thinking we really want to pray on our dates. So why are we raising our hands saying, are you telling us not to pray on a date? Only because we were told not to pray on a date. You say, well, why is it that we do that? Because there is some nature within us some principle within us that we're referring to as this principle or this law of sin. Paul introduces to us not only this law of sin with which we are all functioning, but he also helps us to understand there is another law, another principle, and you're going to have to understand how to now function underneath a more powerful principle, a greater law. And he starts to introduce to us what we refer to or what the Bible's referring to as this law of the spirit. Again, at the very end of Romans chapter seven, the apostle Paul said this. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now he's gonna contrast something. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. Well, he's making this contrast. He expounds on it in Romans 8, but he's, he's, he's giving us this brief introduction to something that is going to mark the new reality of the Christian life. These two laws, these two principles don't cancel out each other. This is important for us to hear as well. Okay, so there's a law of sin. I was born underneath this law of sin. And it's, it's intact, it's, it's um, powerful. I see myself responding to it. I don't like to be told don't. I don't like to be told do. I, I like to do whatever I want to do and I actually have this principle within me that reacts to the don't or the do. But Paul says now there is another law, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. Remember, one doesn't cancel out the other. Okay, there was this law of sin. Now there's this new law, the law of the spirit. The law of the spirit doesn't null and void the law of sin. They're both still intact. So, well, how, how do I function then? Well, one is more powerful than the other. There's a guy named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer is the one who early on, I don't know if he's the first or not, but F.B. Meyer was one that used a wonderful illustration that's been used by many, myself included. 
F.B. Meyer said, have you ever watched a, a beautiful bird just glide across? I mean, just as smooth as can be, glide across the water of a smooth, calm lake or, or soar high in the air. And he just went on with, with a beauty and a detail that was fitting the illustration, speaking about the law of aerodynamics. How many of you don't like to fly, but you do it anyways? How many of you don't like to fly, but you do it anyways? Just raise your hand, just us in here today. So, Okay, how many of you like to fly? How many of you have not much of an opinion about it? Okay, there's a, a few more of you. So a lot of people in here like to fly, but I will tell you, you only like to fly because of two laws, one that is more powerful than the other. Um, how many of you are afraid of heights? Raise your hand, afraid of, oh, a lot of you, but you like to fly. You just don't take a window seat, okay? So, do you know there's this idea of heights? What is it that causes us to be afraid of heights? Do you know if, if I'm to stand here and I stand really close to here, if, if I'm not careful, there is a law that will take over. It's the law of gravity. And some of you'd say, I'd like to see that. Okay, so, so the law of gravity is intact. And if I get too close, the law of gravity is gonna have its way. In the law of aerodynamics, the law of gravity is not null and void. It's just that the law of aerodynamics is greater than. The law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ is a more powerful law than the law of sin and death. Do you still have the ability to sin after salvation? Yes, you do. But is that the normal Christian life? We might borrow a phrase from Paul and say, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, I am now alive in Jesus Christ. I don't have to do that any longer. Well, Paul is, is pouring out for us. He is revealing to us this principle. But this principle is connected to what we're going to look at next. The principle is connected to the person, the person. With great relief, Paul has introduced in his letter to the Romans, this greater law, this greater principle, and actually another person. It's even more powerful than the law of sin and death. And this is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, in the previous seven chapters, I find this interesting. If you study through Romans, you'll find that in all seven chapters leading up to chapter eight, all seven of them, we only get these passing references to this Holy Spirit. We, we get some indication, some inkling of. But in chapter eight alone, the Holy Spirit by name is mentioned 19 times just in chapter number eight. It's like, well, I, you've been referencing, I've heard something about, but now he says, allow me to introduce to you the person of the Holy Spirit. And what this Holy Spirit is providing is something revolutionary something entirely new, something fully provided by Almighty God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And while Paul's introducing us to the Holy Spirit, it is actually the Holy Spirit who is continually directing us to the person of Jesus Christ and a new way of living. Now we're gonna do this in, in rapid fire, but I want us to at least take note 
of what is it that he's covering in Romans chapter 8. Look at what is new to us provided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit introduces us to, first of all, a new walk. Like, oh, I've I've got this new ability to do something. Romans chapter 8, verse number 4, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then he also gives me a new focus. I I can see things. I'm looking. I'm, 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 I don't know, zoning in. I'm focused on something I've never had to see before. The Bible says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I have a new position. I didn't inhabit this before, but I do now because of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I also have a new life. I mean, not just this new addition. I have new life. The Bible says in Romans 8.10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I have a new hope, this new expectation, something I am now looking forward to that before I would have dreaded my new hope. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He's going to make new, make me alive. This is my new hope. I have a new power. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. This is a new power I didn't have before. I have a new guide. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. God, I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I do have a Holy Spirit who guides. And then I have a new father, a new father. I, I, I couldn't use this terminology before. I couldn't address him by this title. In fact, it got more than a few people's attention when Jesus would refer to God in heaven as his father. And yet now I'm the one who can come into his presence and receive not the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is all bought and paid for by Jesus Christ and now made alive by the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, you start to wonder like, man, how how did I get all of this? Well, I got all of this through the person of the Holy Spirit. This person provides something for me that I haven't had to have before. It is a power, a way to live the Christian life that was impossible for me apart from Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus ascends to the Father? He's gathered with his followers and Jesus makes a statement. He says, but ye shall receive power After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. He goes on and ye shall be witnesses unto me. But but what is it that we got? From the person of the Holy Spirit, this person gave me power. Well, not only are these the principles that we're starting to realize this principle, this law of sin and death, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. We see this person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And we see that something starts to happen to us. Listen, Campus Church, 
every person that's here, this is to be our new reality. You say, well, what is that? Well, well not just these, these principles because of this person, but he does something regarding purity in our lives that is befitting the children of God. The purity brought, bought, and paid for by Jesus Christ, empowered through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit certainly is power for living, which produces purity for living. Notice the contrast in this new way of living. If you still have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8, look down at verse, beginning in verse number 4. Romans chapter 8, look down at verse number 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in. If you're circling, marking things in your Bibles, that's an important word in this passage. Might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Did you notice that the Apostle Paul does not say that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled by us? By us. I have to do this. I have to do that. The righteousness of the law has to be fulfilled by us. That is a broken way of thinking. In fact, I might add, it's an impossible way of living. But there is one who says, no, 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 no. The righteousness of the law is supposed to be fulfilled in us, in us. In Philippians chapter three, verse three, Paul says it this way. For we worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, I tried that before. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee as touching the law, perfect. But those things that I counted gain for myself were actually lost for the kingdom of God. He said, it was a broken system, but now there is actually something fulfilled, not by me, it's fulfilled in me. The, the word that we just looked at in Philippians 3, 3, we have no confidence in the flesh. The Greek word used here for confidence means we have no reliance on. We're, we're certainly not convinced by it. We can't trust in it. Do you ever, have you ever said before something like, I'll tell you one thing I will never do. Have you ever said those words before? Now don't raise your hand, but have you ever found yourself doing the things that you said you'd never do? Have you ever even said something like this? Okay, I know I did that, but I'm never going to do that again. Do you know what you're doing? You're having some confidence in the flesh. I will never, I am not going to, never again will I. Paul said, listen, if you're, if you're banking on your flesh helping with that, it is a lost cause. We have no confidence in the flesh. Hey, let's ask this. What kind of sin can a Christian commit? Is there this nice little tidy box of those are Christian sins? Now let's talk about the bad people sins. The bad people sins are over here, but the Christian sins, they're over here. Is that how this works? Or is sin, sin in the sight of God? 
Do you know what he says? We have no confidence, no reliance, no trust. It, it can't be relied upon your flesh. Our flesh may provide some momentary pleasure, but never peace. It may offer some passing sensation, but never true satisfaction and certainly no stability. It promises what it cannot provide. Interesting that this phrase, no confidence in, also means to make friends with. To make friends with. We're not going to make friends with our flesh. He's saying don't become comfortable with. Don't make friends with your flesh. In fact, we should be making it difficult for our flesh to get what it wants. And the only way to do that is to walk in the spirit. There's another Greek word that's used in our text that it's important for us to at least recognize, even reflect on. The word's phreneo, phreneo. It's the word used for mind. The word's rich in meaning. It it extends to what we would refer to as our mind, our will, and emotions. It's found in Romans 8, 5, and he says, for they that are after the flesh do, there's the word, phreneo, mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, what are they doing? They're minding the things of the spirit. It, it has some deep-seated impact on my life and my acting. Paul's asking, where do you park your mind? And upon what are you giving careful consideration with your mind, your will? It even has emotional impact. And why is this so important? Because thinking always comes before acting. And the apostle says, you have to park your mind, set your affection on a new, more powerful principle. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, let's live like who we are, empowered by the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever used the expression before? Again, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have ever used the expression, oh, I just wasn't thinking? It's kind of convenient, isn't it? Have you ever made a joke and, and then you said something, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Have you ever done something, some action, and you say, oh, I don't know what I was thinking, so sorry. I don't know, I just wasn't thinking. That's actually not true. Do you know you're always thinking? I, I know sometimes we have these automatic reactions, but we're always thinking. Have you ever had something like just flash in front of your face and all of a sudden your eyes close? Why? Well, because your mind is, is reacting and that involves process, thought, um, um, some ability to, to put some mental process into place. We're always thinking. You know, for you to say, I'm, I, I don't know why I did that, I wasn't thinking, not true. The problem is that we were thinking and therefore our thinking always precedes our acting It's not something that may have consequence. It will have consequence, both positively and negatively. In the word, the the word phreneo used in Paul's writings, he uses it all throughout. Philippians 2.2, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, phreneo, same word. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, the, the, the mind of this new law of the spirit. Colossians 3.2, we mentioned this earlier, set your affection, same word, phreneo, your mind on things above. Hey, listen, wouldn't it be awkward? Wouldn't this be awkward? Or wouldn't we sense at least, maybe not awkward, but we'd certainly sense something's off. If a person said, I am in love with, 
but continually talked about someone other than the one they're in love with. That their life seemed oriented around another, not their stated love of their life, but another. The apostle says, there are two principles that are at work. And I know all of us have the ability to still continue in sin. But you know, for the true believer, you are now filled with the spirit. So walk in the power, in the light of the same. I know Christians and followers of Christ can blow it. I know that. But this shouldn't be the continual pursuit of our lives. It may be one of the problems, but not the pursuit. We should have a true north that continually pulls at the compass of our hearts. There may be some false navigational pull, some misplaced magnet that captures our momentary attention. But this is not the normal Christian life. Instead, our lives are to be marked by the purity of our Savior and a continual pursuit of living in a manner consistent with who we are. Donald Gray Barnhouse tells the story of a young Marine. And the Marine knew he was saved. He knew what it meant to be saved. But he came to Barnhouse and he said, "Um, what do I do with my sin? He said, "I, I have been messed up in some things that I am frustrated by. What do I do with my sin? And so Barnhouse immediately takes him to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The young officer, he acknowledged that. He says, I know. And then he said, but what is to keep me from falling back into something? What keeps me from living in sin and continuing in it? He said, I don't want to have to keep confessing the same things over and over. So let me ask you before we conclude with with what he said, do you ever find that same frustration? Do you keep going to 1 John 1, 9, well, if I confess my sin, or are you coming to the place where you're saying, what is it that keeps me from having to continually go to 1 John 1, 9? I want to live the victorious, normal Christian life. This is not a special Christian life. This is not an advanced state. This is the normal Christian life. So Barnhouse took him to Romans chapter 8 showed him something that has already occurred in us. That we are right now freed from the law of sin and death. That it's like having money in your pocket that you were unaware of, but now I know I have the resources necessary to successfully live the Christian life. Do you know sometimes we are so caught up in, well, this is just the way I am, That we don't realize, no, 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 that's the way you were. Now I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ in the very person of the Holy Spirit lives in me. You know, we won't take time for this, but the last thing mentioned is the power, the power In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. 
You know, later Paul says our, our gospel didn't come to you in word only. It came in power. And what is that power? He says in power and in the Holy Ghost. Campus Church, we have all the power we need to live in a world that is marked by sin. It's a day that continually whacks, the Bible says, worse and worse. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can kind of tell that in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, oh, I can't wait to introduce to you who? The person of the Holy Spirit that makes it possible for people just like you, people just like me, to rightly represent Jesus Christ with a power source that is literally, not figuratively, literally out of this world. 